Welcome to Unlocking Impact. I'm your host, Sarah Schoenfeld, founder of Trade Impact Academy. In this podcast, we explore issues at the intersection of the global economy, sustainability, and human rights. Today, we are talking about labor trafficking in the United States. I am so excited to have with me our guest, Benjamin Ryan Nathan. Ben is an award-winning filmmaker based in New York, and over the past two decades, he has worked on film, TV, and advertising, and has produced and directed hundreds of documentary projects, short films, commercials, and viral videos. His work has garnered over 20 million views globally. Previously, Ben served as editor on a series of over 70 short films created with renowned documentarian Ken Burns and is currently directing a slate of documentaries on critical social issues. That brings us to our topic today. Ben is currently working on a film titled To Be Free. This film highlights the shocking issue of labor trafficking in the United States. The film will be produced by Ben's production company, All of Us Films, and will be executive produced by actor and activist Martin Sheen. You can learn more about Ben, his work, and the long list of celebrity talent he has worked with in the episode description. Ben, thank you so much for joining us today on Unlocking Impact. Thanks so much for having me, Sarah. This is great. So can we start off with just talking a little bit about you? If you could tell us two things about yourself that I did not just cover in this bio. Sure. Well, the first is I'm a tap dancer, and uh, I've been a tap dancer since age 10 and dance is actually how I got into film. And let's see, second thing, I went to Bronx Science, which is a math and science high school in New York. And there weren't very many artists there. So I'm very into academics, but also have that artistic side to me. Thank you for sharing that. Tell It's very interesting always hearing about people and how they started their education and how they made decisions about their career path. So I love hearing all that. Thank you for sharing. Moving to our topic today, how did you learn about labor trafficking and what made you decide to chronicle this important issue? So in early 2017, we were, my company and I were hired to make a short documentary series for a project called See Now, which was aimed at getting more federal funding for eye care in the United States, something nothing to do with labor trafficking. And one of the places we were sent to go make a story was with a family in Cincinnati, Ohio. And we went there and we were speaking with this incredible family, the D'Souza's, the D'Souza's. And in the process of telling us their story, you know, they, they had come here from India and I said, you know, how did you end up coming here from India? And they started to tell me their story. And they said, you know, we were slaves in a restaurant in Cincinnati for a year and a half. And this is the the couple, the, the, the husband and wife. And then they had these two two young children with them at the time. And and I didn't really understand. I, I mean, I, I understood what they were saying, but it was foreign to me how that could really be happening in a place like Cincinnati in an Indian restaurant. You just go in and order food and you don't realize that the people yeah. there are there against their will and not being paid for their work. So when I started to dig a little further, first with with Harold and Dancy, the DeSouza's, uh, and then with other folks learning more about this, I started to understand how widespread this issue really was, and that 
you know, I thought of myself as a pretty educated person and I had never heard of this happening here. We hear a lot about sex trafficking in the US, which is obviously very, very important to be hearing about. And also it is being covered in the media. We also hear about labor trafficking and, and sort of sweatshops overseas, but we don't hear about it here very much. And when we do hear about it, it's sort of like one article, one news story, and then it's gone. And it doesn't appear as the as the scourge that it really is. So when I learned about that, I was like, oh, we have to do this. And the DeSouza's were gracious enough to entrust us with their story. So that was the seed. And then we've really just grown the project from there. So how did you go about finding additional victims to interview and to work with in this project? Yeah. Well, first of all, the people I'm speaking to at this point and that we are speaking with in the project are actually survivors of trafficking. And there's a big distinction that people who are survivors generally like to use as opposed to victims. Victims are people who are currently in a trafficking situation and survivors mm-hmm. are people who have come through that. And, you know, it's, it's not easy to find survivors who want to speak about this publicly. It can be very private for people. It could be, you know, filled with a lot of stigma and shame, even though this was done to people against their will, that's there's still a lot of a lot of people that don't want to talk about it. And a lot of people whose traffickers are still out there, because the legal system is very slowly catching up with the idea of trafficking in this country and how to deal with it. Is it a labor violation? Is it, you know, how do we categorize this? Is it an immigration issue? So because of that, even the the DeSouza's too, their their trafficker is is not behind bars. So, you know, we we chose to use animation as a large part of the film to to demonstrate things that we didn't want to show literally because of safety issues and you know respecting people's privacy and also to find a different way of engaging people. But we're still looking for more survivors to speak with and, and still looking for people in different who were trafficked in different industries that we haven't yet been able to find. And you can find a teaser for the film. We'll put a link in the episode description. It's it's really great. You should check it out. So when you were creating the film to be free, what was one thing that surprised you the most in that process? Really how widespread this is. Yeah. Even just talking about it, starting to talk to, to people in my circle about it. People are like, oh, well, this is happening. I guess it's happening in major cities. I guess it's happening in, you know, you know, areas where there's a lot of commerce or, or I don't know what people have a lot of misconceptions, but it's the truth is it's happening everywhere. It's happening in every town, every city. This is not confined to the East coast and West coast. This is not confined to hubs of, you know, international airport hubs, those kinds of places. This is really everywhere. It's widespread in lots of different industries, almost every industry that, that there is. And I guarantee you it's happening near you in your community, which is why it's so important that people learn about this, because we can't do anything about something we don't know about. So the first step is education. The first step is educating ourselves, uh, including me. And then we can start to open our eyes and start. You can't unsee these things. Once you start to notice, oh, why is that kid behind the counter at the Chinese takeout place during a school day? You know, you start to ask yourself these questions and you start to wonder and and then you start to get educated and you start to have resources. And that's where change starts to happen. But but this film, another big aha moment with making this film, it can't just be about 
helping people who are in a trafficking situation now. It also has to be about prevention. And prevention is multifaceted. Of course, it has to do with educating people who might end up in a trafficking situation who are extra in a, in at extra risk. at risk yeah. for that kind of a situation. But it's also about educating corporations, educating elected officials, and really starting to look at where people's interests are. You know, I believe that the government is very much aware that the the parts of the visa program are being used and abused for trafficking purposes specifically. It, I don't think it was created for that reason, but it's certainly being used in that way by many, many people in business. And it's a legal loophole, essentially, to bring workers from another country here and have them tied to a specific employer. And it's very easy to exploit people in that situation if an employer wants to. So we have to look at the the wide view of this and how is this being enabled by government and by industry. And they're kind of working together in this. And I don't think most of it is malicious. I think, you know, certainly the people who are actually trafficking people, that's malicious, right? But we live in a culture now economically where it's a subcontracting culture. So a hotel chain is not cleaning those hotel rooms themselves. They're subcontracting to another company that's bringing in workers to do the cleaning of the rooms. If they get a good deal with that subcontractor, are they looking into, well, how much is that person being paid per hour? Why are they all coming in together in a van and leaving at the end of the day and nobody ever has autonomy about where they when they come and go? It's very easy to not look into those things and just look at the bottom line and ignore the potential for abuses that could be taking place within our own businesses. So that's something that's really important. That's a big goal of the film. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget or we're not aware that when you when you say the word, you know, modern slavery, it's not always someone who is physically taken from one place and moved to another place against their will. They may have other factors in the scenario that together create a situation that is considered modern slavery, whether it's manipulation, withholding documents so that the person can't leave once they arrive. You know, so sometimes we think of slavery as someone who is physically taken against their will, but there are much more, there's a much more broad definition of what is modern slavery as understood under inter international legal norms and trying to practically avoid and prevent all of those types of slavery is very difficult and so important. Right. So I'm so excited to see this film and to, you know, hear more about what you're learning through this process. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, the, the generally accepted definition at this point of labor trafficking is force, fraud, or coercion. So, you know, those are the sort of measuring sticks that we use to say, is this trafficking or not? And most of the time, like you're saying, Sarah, people are not being kept in chains in a basement, right? They're usually not locked up at all, but they don't feel that they can leave. They might be in a debt bondage situation. Many times people who are coming from poorer countries are having to take out major loans and accrue incredible yeah. debt. Uh, either themselves or, or for their family in order to get a recruiter to recruit them for a job here. 
then they're here paying off that debt to the recruiter back home. And many times those recruiters have threatened their families. So if they don't work and pay that off, then their family could get injured or killed. So, you know, are they in chains? No. Can they leave? No. And they don't think they can go to the authorities because they're told by their employer or the person, you know, forcing them to work. Well, if you go to the authorities, I'll send you back to your country or, you know, and then they can't go back because they didn't pay off the debt. And then they oftentimes don't speak the language as well. And this isn't just America. Look, it's happening all over the world. And that is one big issue where we see individuals being brought to a country where they don't speak the language. And that's one of the tactics, actually, of someone who is trying to perpetuate modern slavery because it makes that victim much more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I want to go back to what you talked about in terms of our supplier kind of economy where it is true. You know, if you look at even the biggest brands, we oftentimes have these third party suppliers who are essentially at the sourcing level or at the manufacturing level running the show. You have a company of, of a brand name that you know, or maybe you work for. And if you look deep, deep down in the supply chain, you do often have third parties involved in sourcing the labor that is then used to whether for agricultural work or manufacturing and all that, or as you talked about the restaurant industry, right? There really has been a very big push recently about surrounding transparency when it comes to forced labor. And one of the biggest examples of this is in the U.S., we have a legislation that just got passed and is now being enacted about the Uyghur population in China. And that's been really so front and center now, more than I've seen ever, which is so, it's such a hopeful thing that we're all talking about it much more regularly. The government took action, corporations are taking action, and together, hopefully, the situation gets better. I know that's not the topic today, but have you seen any similar passion and effort in the U.S. when talking about supply chains or restaurant workers? who are employed by third parties. But have you seen a lot of progress from your perspective? I think we have a long way to go. There has been some legislation, obviously the most, one of the most famous pieces of legislation is the California Supply Chain Transparency Act, but that's already going back a number of years. And we haven't seen that in many, many, many states around the country. And even that law is just a beginning where companies are required to say what their level of transparency is. They're not required to say, mm -hmm it's this good. They're just, and they're not required to do anything about it. They're not even required to be transparent. They just have to say how transparent or not they are. I'm so used to hearing about overseas forced labor and, and we're really not so focused in on in the U.S. And when you see a label that says made in the U.S., you start to think, oh, there's going to be great labor standards behind that label. Is that you know, do you think that's always the case? Absolutely not. And and that's why we're making this film because it's this film is focused on labor trafficking in the US. So and, and we do hear a lot of yeah. stories, a fair amount of stories of labor violations overseas and of labor trafficking and forced labor overseas. And we, that's good. We need to keep hearing about that. But we don't hear about it very much here. I mean, agriculture, as you mentioned, is one of the top industries that labor trafficking occurs in this country. And we're all eating. We're all getting food. It doesn't really matter what yeah. kind of farm you're getting it from. It could easily have labor trafficking involved in it. 
Yeah. And there are some high profile cases of that, you know, agricultural slave labor and some really terrible conditions. And then even, you know, there's some examples where there was a, you know, a case went to court and then things were changed, but they weren't even changed enough as a result of that court case. So it's like, how can we create better standards? Do you think it starts with the U.S. government and the agencies that are involved coming out with more specific rules or more additional monitoring? What is something that you think could help in the U.S. based on what you've seen so far? I'm going to say something kind of, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Maybe it's radical. We can't (laughs) address, if we just look at agriculture, we can't address labor trafficking in agriculture without addressing the farming methods that are being used. Because we live in a system where conventional farming of many, many crops, corn, soy, requires farmers to basically operate at a loss. So the government is subsidizing their, you know, their crops. But if farmers are actually implementing a regenerative agriculture approach to farming, Mm -hmm. they're diversifying their crops. They don't need to buy all these inputs of nitrogen and pesticides and all this other stuff, and they can actually turn a profit. So it's a completely different model of farming and getting away from the, you know, big pesticide companies and, and all of those, all that method of quote unquote conventional farming, I think actually could help the farmers to not feel squeezed of like, oh my gosh, I got to get the cheapest labor possible. And they might be subcontracting and not know, you know, who's working and how much they're being paid and they're, they can't look at it because they just have to turn a profit. So if we look at this, this is all related, you know, of course, that's good for the environment. Regenerative agriculture is one of the things that's going to get carbon out of the atmosphere. But that's not separate from labor trafficking. It's all really related because it all affects how we operate as an economy, how we operate as a culture, mm-hmm. what we place value on. I want to turn to as we start to wrap up, I want to turn to kind of what we can do. So as listeners today, anyone listening to this podcast and they'd like to somehow support victims or survivors of labor trafficking in the U.S., what is one thing they could do today to make a positive impact? So the first thing is to learn, right? And two great places to learn about the issue of labor trafficking are Polaris, which is polarisproject.org. And the other is actually the fiscal sponsor of our film, which is Three Strands Global Foundation. And it's the number three strandsglobalfoundation.org. And they're dedicated to educating people around issues of trafficking and prevention. And so those are two really great resources. Polaris also operates the uh, U.S. National Trafficking, uh, sorry, U.S. National Human Trafficking Hotline, which is 888-373-7888. So if you're in, you know, a store and you see something that's not Right. Like I said earlier, if you see a kid working behind the counter during the school day, why are they there? You could call that trafficking hotline and say, hey, I just want to let you know this is what I saw. Maybe this is something to look into. And then they can take that tip forward to the to the relevant folks in that community. And then it can be investigated. You know, it's not necessarily always possible to pass that phone number on to somebody who is sitting behind the counter may jeopardize their own safety. So that's probably not the best thing to do, but certainly starting to get educated. I mean, that's why we're making this film is to get people educated as well. Well, it's amazing. I think the work you're doing is great. I'm so excited to keep um, 
keep watching it, keeping watching for updates. I can't wait until it's finished and I can watch the whole thing. I want to shift total gears as we wrap up the podcast to you and stepping aside from labor trafficking and your day-to-day and other you know, documentaries you're working on. We're interested in hearing about you, Ben, something that you're working on yourself, learning, growing in an area or a skill that, that you're working on today. Such a great question. The toughest question. Yeah. The toughest question of the podcast. <laughs> oh man, there's so many things. I'm, I'm constantly working on myself, looking to kind of just develop. One of the things I'm working on right now personally is developing sort of living in an abundance mindset. And that might sound kind of broad and, and uh, hard to pin down, but you know, essentially it's about where am I coming from with my interactions with people? Where am I coming from in my interactions with myself? You know, it's basically scarcity or abundance. And the perception of scarcity is, is probably responsible for a lot of the strife and suffering in our world both on a personal level and on a on a international level on a societal level and some of that scarcity is real but a lot of it's not and coming from an abundance mindset for me is like there's enough for everybody there actually is enough for everybody and it's not about you know collecting and sort of hoarding resources and knowledge and whatever else but it's really about sharing Thank you for sharing that. That's great. Well, thanks for all your time today. It's been a pleasure talking with you and getting your perspective on such an important topic. And again, for our listeners, we'll put a lot of information into the episode description, a lot of links that we talked about today. And Ben, thank you so much. Have a great day. And thanks a lot. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. This has been Unlocking Impact. Thanks so much for joining and we hope to see you next time.